Hello, and welcome to Your Killer Life, where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer, and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I am your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and in this podcast, we aren't leaving anything out as my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money. Hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right, are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello and welcome to Your Killer Life. I am so excited. Today I have an amazing guest with us who is going to be talking with us about really demystifying some of the, oh goodness, I would say overall mystery about the lymphatic system. Joe, you began your studies into lymphedema management in 1984, and you went on, you founded the Department of Lymphology at the School for Physical Therapy in Ulm, Germany, and that was in 1990. You are a certified instructor for manual lymph drainage. In 1994, you formed the Academy of Lymphatic Studies, and you also have published a book, the textbook for comprehensive lymphedema management, which is now in its fourth edition. Is that correct? That's correct, Tammy. That's correct. Wow. Well, I only... And it's, and it's available in five different languages, if I may add. So. Oh, my goodness. Please do. Well, and add anything else that I might have missed. I mean, you have such a great history, and, and I'm looking forward to diving into this topic with you. But tell us a little bit about you and really how you got started and why this became such a passion for you. Well, thanks for having me, Tammy. Uh, like you said already, my name is Joachim Suter, but let's uh, stick with Joe. It makes life easier for all of us. So my name is Joe Suter. I'm the uh, founder and education director of the Academy of Lymphatic Studies, uh, which is a school that provides continuing education in the treatment and management uh, for lymphedema. And we train healthcare professionals in this therapy uh, since 1994, as you already correctly said. I am also the author of the textbook Lymphedema Management, currently it's fourth edition, but more important, I guess, to your listeners, I'm also the author of Lymphedema Blog, which is a website uh, completely dedicated uh, to provide uh, patients affected by lymphedema and related conditions with all things uh, lymphedema. It's uh, available on www.lymphedemablog.com. And there are a great number uh, of articles geared towards um, uh, patients with lymphedema. Uh, there are more than 100 articles now which are written so patients can easily understand the, the issue. You find articles explaining primary and secondary lymphedema. There are uh, questions answered when it comes to uh, quality of life issues, treatment issues, risk reduction issues, and so on and so forth. 
Oh my goodness. And a lot of those we're going to just barely touch on today. You know, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and found out it was stage three, we, we did all the scans and they said my lymph looked clear, but they still have that standard practice of removing the sentinel nodes. And I'll be honest, you know, I remember in school, we're all taught about the nervous system. We are all taught about our circulatory system. I had no idea really the importance of the lymphatic system and how different it is from the other systems uh, in the body. And so would you talk to us a little bit about what is that lymphatic system and why is it so important? It is important. And as you correctly uh, pointed out, it's, it's kind of a neglected system in the body even uh, these days. Uh, medical students only hear a couple hours about lymphatic system to their wow. studies, which is a shame. Yeah, it's, it's uh, amazing. Uh, well, the lymphatic system, what is it? The lymphatic system consists of a network of lymph vessels and lymph nodes that work parallel to or in conjunction with the circulatory system, the blood system. The lymphatic system is not a closed circulatory system like the blood system. As you know, the blood system consists of an arterial part and venous part, but works on a one-way principle, which means the lymphatic network starts with small vessels in the interstitial tissues, in the body tissues, where they collect fluid and particles and carries that lymph fluid from the tissues back into the venous system. Now, once that interstitial fluid enters the lymphatic system, it's called, it's called lymph fluid. This, this, this is when it's lymph fluid. So there's the interstitial fluid, and once it enters the lymphatic system, it's called lymph. Lymph fluid is a clear and transparent semi-fluid medium that contains water, protein, cellular components, unfortunately, in, in some cases, uh, also uh, malignant cells, which is important to understand the function of metastases and also fat. So the lymph components are water, protein, cell components, uh, and particles and fat. Now, the two main components that are of interest to us and to your listeners are the lymphatic loads of water and protein. So where does the water come from? You have to imagine that a large amount of fluid, approximately 24 liters or six gallons, uh, leaves the blood capillaries via filtration throughout the day. Now, that fluid that leaves those blood capillaries supplies the cells with nutrients like sugars and salts and enzymes and so on and so forth. Now, once the fluid that leaves the blood capillaries is in the tissues, it cannot be returned in directly into the blood circulatory system, but has to be removed by the lymphatic system. So the lymphatics, the tissue fluid enters or the, the blood fluid enters the tissues. It provides the cells, the body cells with nutrients like sugars and salts, and in turn picks up metabolic waste and cell particles and transports those um, lymphatic loads back into the blood system. Uh, so it's, it's it, like I said before, it's like a complementary system to the blood system. Now, those small lymph vessels uh, that I mentioned before are called lymph capillaries. So those lymph capillaries collect the lymphatic load of water and proteins and moves that fluid through ever larger lymph vessels from the lymph capillaries into the pre-collectors and from there into the collectors. And the lymph collectors move or transport the lymph fluid into lymph nodes where harmful substances and toxins are filtered out. And from there, the lymph continues with ever larger lymph uh, vessels, so-called uh, ducts or 
collecting vessels back to the heart. And throughout the day, approximately two to three liters of lymph are returned via the lymphatic system into the blood system. So you can see that just with lymphatic water, the lymph system plays a very, very important role in uh, the body's fluid management. So water is one of those lymphatic uh, loads. The other uh, important lymphatic loads are proteins. Those also come from the blood. Uh, in the course of 24 hours, at least half of the proteins that circulate in the blood will leave the blood capillaries and travel to the interstitial spaces. Now, those proteins are needed for growth, uh, for metabolism. They maintain proper pH levels. They transport nutrients, provide energy, and so on and so forth. But as with the water, once the proteins are out of the blood uh, circulatory system, they cannot directly return back into the blood circulatory system, but also have to be moved by the lymph system. So those two main lymphatic loads, water and protein, are important to understand, to, to understand lymphedema itself. Lymphedema, uh, the definition of lymphedema is an accumulation of proteins and water in the tissues. And that's a very important difference to other swellings like regular edemas, lymphedema and edema are not the same. Lymphedema has a high protein content, where regular swellings, like if you sit too long or if you stand too long and you accumulate fluid in your ankles, for example, this is not lymphedema. This is regular swelling, like a, an excess of water in the tissues, but it does not have a higher protein content. So that's important to understand. Wow. Now, uh, another important factor I need to mention, uh, lymph, uh, the lymphatic system does not only play an important part in fluid management and the removal of toxins and cellular, uh, cellular waste, but it also plays a very, very important part in the body's immune defense. Now, in addition to the lymph uh, vessels and the lymph nodes I already mentioned, there are lymphatic organs, like we have primary lymph lymphatic organs, like the bone marrow and the thymus, where uh, uh, lymphocytes are produced, and those lymphocytes then um, are circulated into the secondary organs, like the lymph nodes and uh, not the spleen, for example, where they provide a very, very important role in the body's immune defense. So that's, in short, the lymphatic system, the components, and the function of the lymphatic system. I don't know how you would cover all of that in a few hours of med school. That is a very complex system. Well, you know, we just covered it in like five minutes. So, yeah, you know, but... it's just a basic overview. And uh, I, I tell you, you know, I don't want to talk down and talk down on, on doctors and the medical professionals. But, you know, many, many uh, doctors and I know a lot of doctors, they have a hard time understanding the lymphatic system. It is yeah. just Yeah. Well, and, you know, yes, we did an overview, but then you tie it into everything else within the body and, and it gets far, far more complicated than that overview. Exactly. So, what, you know what, if the lymphatic system works properly, there is no issue. But, you know, there are instances where you can have a disruption of the lymphatic system, a disruption of the lymph flow, and then you end up with issues. Yes. So... In my case, I had my sentinel nodes removed and they unfortunately both did have uh, metastasis micromets in them. And my general surgeon at the time, we had the conversation about going back and removing more nodes. And he actually, he left the choice up to me saying that they are starting to find more long-term 
side effects with removing all of the nodes rather than just removing the sentinel nodes. But the other interesting thing he said to me was that once you re- identify and remove the sentinel nodes, it's not like you can go back. They're not like in a chain. So it's not like you can go back and remove the next couple. You kind of have to remove them all. But that also kind of leads me to the to the other question of you know, what impacts with mastectomy, bilateral mastectomy, lumpectomies, uh, the subsequent radiation, and then of course, the sentinel node removals. And I know that is a lot, but what are the impacts to the lymph system when it comes to those? Yeah, well, mastectomies and lumpectomies are procedures that that are performed to treat breast cancer. And I'm sure as you know, and as most of your listeners know, Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women in the Western Hemisphere. Generally, it can be said that one out of eight women in the U.S. will develop breast cancer uh, throughout their lives. And just before our uh, interview here, I checked the National Cancer Institute's uh, website for the current numbers. And I can tell you from the NCI website that uh, over 276,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer and over 48,000 cases of non-invasive breast cancers in females and 2,600 breast cancers in males will be diagnosed in the United States in uh, 2020. So that's a a large number. Now, again, lumpectomies and mastectomies are procedures that are both performed to remove the breast cancer and obviously to save the patient's life. So those are very important and necessary procedures. And while both procedures are effective, they have different benefits and risks. Now, a lumpectomy, what is the difference between lumpectomies and mastectomies? A lumpectomy is a surgery that removes the breast cancer itself while preserving the mammary gland, the breast. And uh, those lumpectomies are used for less invasive forms uh, of cancer. However, many patients need additional radiation to destroy any remaining cancer cells and uh, prevent the reoccurrence of cancer. Now, uh, as opposed to a lumpectomy, a mastectomy treats uh, breast cancer by removing the entire breast, including lymph nodes. There are different types of mastectomy procedures. There are simple mastectomies. With simple mastectomies, uh, the mammary glands are removed and uh, no lymph nodes are removed. So it's just a removal of the mammary glands. It's for those cases where women looking to prevent the breast cancer from ever recurring. I'm sure many of you have heard of uh, uh, some uh, well-known people and actor actresses uh, recently that had that procedure done. So that would be a simple mastectomy. Then there are the radical mastectomies. A radical mastectomy uh, removes the entire breast, including the the cancer. Uh, It removes the lymph nodes in the underarm, the so-called axillary lymph nodes, and also uh, the chest musculature, in particular the pectoralis muscle. That would be a radical mastectomy. Very seldomly performed, and only in those cases where uh, the breast cancer is very invasive and spreads into the muscles in the breast. Now, and then there's the the, the modified radical mastectomy. With this uh, procedure, the mastectomy uh, removes the entire breast and some of the lymph nodes. However, the muscles are not removed. So these would be the lumpectomies and and, and mastectomies. Now, as I said before, while it is absolutely necessary to remove those lymph nodes that contain cancer cells, 
it is important to consider that any removal of lymph nodes, which is the case with lumpectomies and mastectomies, and the subsequent damage of lymphatic vessels. Remember, I, I told you before that lymph collectors connect to the lymph nodes. So if you remove the lymph nodes, you have to sever those lymph collectors. And obviously, that would have an impact on the efficacy or the sufficiency of the lymphatics uh, system. Now, again, with the removal of lymph nodes, there are also different procedures. There are the sentinel lymph node biopsies, the SLNBs, and there are the axillary lymph nodes, the complete axillary lymph node removals, the, the ALNBs. Now, the sentinel lymph node biopsy is the most common and least invasive way to remove lymph nodes. The sentinel lymph nodes are the first nodes, the first lymph nodes into which a tumor drains. So what happens during the surgery, uh, uh, the surgeon injects a radioactive tracer or a non-toxic dye around that tumor, which then enables the surgeon to identify those lymph nodes where that malignant mass drains into, into the axial lymph nodes. And... Um, uh, the, uh, the surgeon then removes those lymph nodes, those sentinel lymph nodes, sends them to the lab while the patient is on the operating table. And if they come back negative, meaning if there, is, there are no cancer cells detected in those sentinel lymph nodes, no, no, in, in most cases, not more uh, lymph nodes will be removed. However, if those sentinel lymph nodes are positive, that means metastatic cancer cells are detected in those lymph nodes, then the surgeon uh, continues to remove more lymph nodes. So in, in both cases, you have a disruption uh, of, um, uh, of the lymphatic system. And that, of course, can lead to an accumulation of fluid in, in, in the tissue. So if you remove the lymph nodes in the underarm, the so-called axial lymph nodes, then the lymphatic loads uh, coming from the arm would accumulate. So you may end up with a swelling of the arm if you have a removal of the lymph nodes in the groin area. The inguinal lymph nodes, you would have an accumulation of lymph fluid in predominantly in the lower extremities. However, they are not only, uh, you know, uh, axillary and uh, inguinal lymph nodes, they are also lymph nodes in the neck. So we have uh, head and neck cancers where those lymph nodes need to be removed or radiated. Then you have an accumulation of lymph fluid in the head. So it's, it's a, a very involved uh, issue. So if lymph edema, if, if the accumulation of protein-rich fluid in the tissues is caused by Breast cancer surgery, those lymphedemas uh, are labeled as secondary lymphedemas. If a patient has breast cancer and those lymph nodes are removed, those patients would have a good chance of developing lymphedema. And while uh, the numbers uh, are not consistent in the data of the incidence of lymphedema, and most statistics are available on those uh, breast cancer related, uh, only uh, uh, those related to breast cancer lymphedema. Uh, they are not really consistent and not quite reliable. However, it was reported that the five year cumulative incidence of lymphedema following breast cancer surgery in women, in women is about uh, 42 cancer, uh, 42, I'm sorry, 42% in the United States. So that's a large number of women that can be affected by secondary lymphedema. 
Wow. That is a large number. And, you know, I have, once you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you, you get, you gain a bunch of breasties. Y'all find each other, right? Because you're trying to navigate this together. And one of the things that kind of surprised me, and I found this to be common, is that we don't get a lot of information oftentimes from our providers. And it varies a lot. And I'm not picking on the system at all either. It's just, it's very interesting to me that I pretty much did my own research and decided to get a bracelet um, for myself after having just the sentinel nodes removed. And I have a girlfriend who had all of her nodes removed and, and she had surgery the same month I did. And she ended up with lymphedema a few months later. But there's still risk with each of those procedures and the impacts. And so a lot of the questions I see are questions like, what are the risks of needles and blood pressure to that arm? I guard that arm like you wouldn't believe. Nobody gets to touch it. (laughs) Um, And whether or not lymph nodes grow back, that's another question uh, that I've seen. and, And I honestly don't know the answer to. And whether or not if they don't grow back, if the system reroutes itself at all, like you will see with other in the body. And then exercise, that's another one. To what level of normalcy can you go or are there risks that are created if you do certain things over other things? Yeah. I mean, you know, risk avoidance. Uh, first of all, you know, as you already mentioned, and, and I'm sure some of your listeners may well know, uh, there's not a lot of communication you know, post-surgery, post-mastectomy or post-lumpectomy surgery when it comes to risk reduction practices. Uh, you know that, you know, it's, it's first of all, you know, 42% of those women that uh, have cancer re- and, and, and report uh, the onset of lymphedema, they have lymphedema already. However, there's a large number, like 48%, so the remaining 58%, uh, of women do not develop breast cancer post-surgery. However, even if you don't have lymphedema directly after surgery, secondary lymphedema, post-mastectomy, post-lumpectomy could uh, occur immediately after surgery. Sometimes it occurs uh, weeks, months after surgery, sometimes even 20 years or longer after surgery. And some uh, women don't develop lymphedema at all. However, they are, they are always at risk of developing lymphedema because there is a damage to the lymphatic system. It means that the, the sufficiency of the lymphatic system is impaired. So if you do anything that could uh, upset that fragile balance with uh, you know, the reduced uh, transport capacity, the reduced sufficiency of the lymphatic system, uh, if you uh, do anything that could offset this delicate balance, you could end up with having lymphedema. So it's very important, you know, to not have blood draws, for example, in your affected arm, but, you know, in the, on the, on the contralateral arm, on the other arm. And if you have a bilateral mastectomy, then, you know, the, the non-dominant arm, for example, should be used. Or blood pressure readings. Blood pressure readings should not be taken on the affected extremity, for example. Now, when it comes to exercises, that's a whole new, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very involved topic. You know, exercises are important for patients that are affected by lymphedema. The most important forms of exercise that uh, support lymphatic return, like those are called uh, decongestive exercises. So, you know, risk reduction practices, you know, it, it's, it's a, 
it's a long, long uh, conversation we can have. It is important to avoid any injury that that would lead uh, to any increase in lymphatic load that could cause infection. If you have an infection in your lymphedema that's extremity, that lymphedema will increase in volume. So it's very, very important to uh, avoid anything that would cause the lymphedema to increase. And it's always a good idea, for example, if a patient that has lymphedema or that, that is uh, in danger of developing lymphedema, to always carry you know, an alcohol swab with them or uh, and, and a Band-Aid. So if you injure yourself or if you have a cat, for example, you play with your cat or if you go into the garden and cut back your roses and, and you get a little puncture wound, it's important to clean that wound immediately and put a, uh, put a Band-Aid on. Also, what is important when it comes to risk reduction practices, if you have upper, if you had a, if you had, if you don't have lymphedema, even if you have lymphedema, is to avoid tight closing. For example, you know, the bra straps. For example, those small, tiny bra straps are often a contributor, uh, contributing factors to the development of uh, development of lymphedema. There are those pads you can place underneath your bra straps. You should wear comfortable underwear. You should not wear any bracelets on rings or rings that are restrictive. But, you know, it's like I said, there are many, many more things you have to should be careful with. You should not be afraid to continue living. Obviously, you know, you, 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 know, you, you still have a life you have to live. But if you're interested or if your listeners are interested to find more about this, you can go to Lymphedia blog and uh, click on the risk reduction practices. You know, it wasn't until, and there is so much, you're right. I mean, we, we could have a week long podcast, probably not, and, and still not get down too, too far into the depths of where we could go. Listening to you, I'm thinking about myself with a bilateral mastectomy and I had the sentinel nodes removed from the left and I get my blood pressure and my blood draws and everything on the right. And until I came across your blog and across your videos, I did not fully understand the staging and even the risk of doing that. And my right arm, the one that with the blood draws and and the blood pressure is also the dominant arm. So... (laughs) point taken about still living your life and not being afraid. But I will tell you after some research, I'm like, maybe I need to ask them to tackle my ankles for this stuff from here on out. Oh my! You know, uh, but you also have to, I mean, the healthcare professionals should do anything to avoid, you know, the onset of lymphedema. And healthcare professionals usually usually know that. I mean, most nurses, they are well aware of the dangers of lymphedema. With doctors, not so much, but the nurses in general are. Especially if you are a bracelet and if you are an informed patient and uh, you communicate with those nurses. However, you know, if there is any emergency and you have to have an infusion or whatever, uh, or if you have to go for an MRI or a CT and an IV line is necessary, I mean, those things are just necessary procedures. You know what I mean? But if possible, always avoid it, especially if you have lymphedema. Like, you know, there are different stages of lymphedema. There's the, the subclinical or the latent stage. So, you know, if you had a lumpectomy mastectomy and you do not develop lymphedema, that does not mean you are not in danger of developing lymphedema. You know, you don't have a visible onset of swelling, but you always have the risk of developing lymphedema because your lymphatic system is impaired. So you have to be always very, very careful. Now, once you have lymphedema, you know, lymphedema, 
is a progressive condition. That means it doesn't get better by itself. You know, there is no cure for lymphedema. You, it can be well managed. It can be well maintained. But uh, so far, we don't have a cure. There is no magic pill. There is no injection or anything that could cure lymphedema. So you have to be careful. Once lymphedema develops, it, it usually, you know, it's called stage one, uh, which is called the reversible stage of lymphedema. That means Patients that have the onset of swelling, you know, you see an increase in volume. However, in uh, you know, your clothes may may become too tight, and you know, it's it's a cosmetic issues, a cosmetic issue. So, in in the early stage of lymphedema, in, this, in stage one lymphedema, which is also labeled reversible lymphedema, that swelling can be completely reversed by appropriate treatment. You know, I mean, the treatment is available. It's not that you are uh, that, that you now have a life sentence and you have to run around with a small extremity. Will it be an upper or lower extremity? However, you need to you need to go for appropriate treatment because if you don't, the lymphedema progresses. So it goes from stage one to stage two. Stage two lymphedema uh, in in those cases. Uh, Lymphedema in stage one is usually very, very soft and pitting. However, the longer lymphedema persists, the harder the tissues get and the more difficult it becomes to remove that excess lymph fluid. So that would be stage two, which is also called spontaneously irreversible lymphedema. And if you still don't have any uh, treatment done or if you just don't have access to to treatment of lymphedema or you don't know about lymphedema, then your lymphedema can uh, develop into a stage three, which is labeled lymphocytic elephantiasis. And uh, those cases can be really, really difficult to treat. Sometimes they uh, reach monstrous uh, proportions. The volume increases, the tissue uh, become harder and harder. There is uh, usually the lymphedematous tissue is very susceptible to infections. So patients develop develop cellulitis or erysipelas, which uh, further complicate the situation. So it is really, really very important to treat lymphedema as soon as possible. And that leads me to my next question, which I know could be uh, a really long conversation. So just sort of at the very high level, what are some treatment options? I know there's machines, there's endermology, there are sleeves, there's exercise, so uh, massage. So what are some of the options that folks could ask about, could inquire with their nurse navigator or their physicians or ask about? Well, there's one uh, long-standing uh, uh, treatment option for lymphedema, which is called complete decongestive therapy, or CDT. CDT is listed, for example, on the websites of the American Cancer Society, the National Cancer Institute, the International Society of Lymphology, the National Lymphedema Network, as the main component in the treatment and management of primary and secondary lymphedema. It's the gold standard. Complete decongestive therapy is the gold standard. Uh, CDT is performed by certified lymphedema therapists, CLTs. CLTs, what, this is what we do here at the Academy of Lymphatic Studies. We train those healthcare professionals, which could be physical, occupational massage therapists, nurses, and doctors, and we treat them in complete decongestive therapy. Now, complete decongestive therapy is a multi-component treatment approach. It uh, consists of four treatment techniques which are applied in combination. Uh, Complete decongestive therapy consists of manual lymph drainage, compression therapy, 
skin care and decongestive exercises. And what happens is if you have lymphedema and you come to a certified lymphedema therapist, but you have to make sure you see a certified lymphedema therapist, that is very important. Certified lymphedema therapist, if I may add that real quick, a certified lymphedema therapist goes through 135 hours of training in the certification of lymphedema. So that's very important. Those uh, therapists need to be trained uh, appropriately and thoroughly because you can do more harm than good if you touch a lymphedema patient. For example, if you go and have a massage on your lymphedema, the lymphedema extremity, like a regular Swedish massage, most likely you will worsen the, the, the symptoms. You will increase the volume of, of that uh, extremity. And uh, that's also an issue which, you know, would require a longer conversation, but it's also a lymphedema plug. But again, you know, I, I don't want to tell all your listeners, don't ever go for a massage. That is also not what I want to say. But for example, if you have lymphedema on your right arm, just don't have a massage on that right arm. You can have a massage on the lower extremities, you can have a massage on your, on your back, on your front, anywhere, but not on the, on the affected extremity. So manual lymph drainage, one component of complete decongestive therapy. Manual lymph drainage is a very gentle and superficial manual treatment technique that manually reroutes stagnated lymphedematous fluid from the affected extremity into areas with sufficient lymphatic drainage. For example, if you have uh, an axial lymph node dissection on the right side and you have a upper extremity lymphedema, which is located on the right side, your lymphedema therapist would reroute that stagnated lymph fluid out of your affected right extremity into lymph nodes that are still intact, meaning the lymph nodes, the axial lymph nodes on the other side, your contralateral axial lymph nodes, and also into lymph nodes that are located in the groin, your, the, the ipsilateral, the, 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 the right inguinal lymph nodes. So manual lymph drainage gently reroutes manually reroutes lymph fluid out of those insufficient areas into areas where you have a sufficient lymphatic system. But again, manual lymph drainage and massage are two completely different things. The only thing that manual lymph drainage and massage have in common is that both techniques are applied manually. That's it. That's it. As you know, and I guess most of your listeners that ever received a massage, like a regular Swedish massage, with massage therapy, your aim is to treat muscles, tendons, ligaments, you know, and, and, and those anatomical structures. Those are deep structures. Now, lymphedema manifests itself in the superficial tissues. That means above the fascia, which is above the muscle layer, that lymphedema manifests itself within the skin, within the subcutis and the skin. So very, very light pressure is needed to reroute that lymph fluid out of uh, the, the, the affected areas. And uh, if you would use deeper techniques like a massage, for example, which I mentioned before, you could have the opposite effect because if you apply massage, you will have an increase in blood flow. That was massage. That is what massage does. Uh, massage. One goal of massage is to increase blood flow into areas where you have injured muscles and you know provide nutrients to those muscles and so on and so forth. However, if you have lymphedema and you increase the lymph flow to that area, you will make the lymphedema worse because if you have an increase in blood flow, you have an increased rate of fluid filtration, which would in turn increase the lymphatic load. Like that, that part of the, lymph, of the uh, tissue fluid that needs to be removed by the lymphatic system, which in our case or in the case of lymphedema is not sufficient. So a big, big uh, difference, like manual lymph drainage is not massage. So 
just I need I always say that for 35 years or longer because oh you know people tell me oh even you said before you go to massage no 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 you don't go to massage you go to have manual lymph drainage which is part of complete decongestive therapy so manual lymph drainage is part of complete decongestive therapy then there's compression therapy which is applied directly after the manual lymph drainage uh, it's important because if you have lymphedema the elastic fibers of uh, your skin lose their elasticity. So if you evacuate lymph fluid manually with manual lymph drainage and you do not follow up with compressing the affected body part, lymph fluid would reaccumulate in a matter of hours. So it's very important to follow up with compression therapy. So those are the two main pillars of complete decongestive therapy. Another pillar is skin care. Lymphedema, the skin uh, tends to be very dry and scaly. It's, uh, it's very susceptible to infection. So it's important to uh, keep the skin moist to uh, maintain a proper uh, pH level, usually around five. So the noodle to the slight acidic range. So uh, lotions and, and uh, appropriate lotions are applied and uh, the patient is also instructed uh, to perform certain exercises wearing the compression material, materials, let it be compression bandages or compression garments, so there is uh, uh, an appropriate resistance to the working musculature underneath. And the goal of those decongestive exercises is to further remove lymph fluid from the affected extremity. So this is, in a nutshell, what complete decongestive therapy does. Now, there are different phases uh, of, of CDT. There's an intensive phase in which the patient is seen on a daily basis. That means five days a week, Monday to Friday, until uh, the lymphedema is uh, reduced to a normal or near normal size in an uncomplicated upper extremity lymphedema case, for example, that can take anywhere between two and three weeks. So um, 10 to 15 treatments in most cases. It takes a little longer with low extremities. And uh, once the extremity is decongested, like during the intensive phase of therapy, but the patient is seen on a daily basis, once the extremity reaches a normal uh, size and, and the measurements which the therapist takes, you know, on the patient's extremity plateau, then the therapist, uh, then the uh, treatment automatically goes into phase two of CDT, which is the maintenance or the self-improvement phase where the patient uh, maintains and improves the results that were achieved in the first phase of CDT. Yeah, and that involves self-MLD, like self-manual lymph drainage, like the therapists are instructed by the lymphedema therapist to um, uh, perform very easy to learn and very easy to administer, to administer techniques of manual lymph drainage. The patients uh, are instructed to wear their compression garments, uh, the patients are instructed in proper skin care and exercises. So, nutshell, this is CDT, the components of CDT of complete decongestive therapy and the phases of complete decongestive therapy, the intensive and the maintenance or improvement phase. Wow. So much information. And I have to tell you, the more we talk, the more questions I have. But sure. fortunately, you have compiled on Lymphedema Blog a huge amount of resources that are no cost to all of my breasties out there that are listening and wanting to learn more. And especially about the phases, I know I do. I've, I've been to this point, I don't have active lymphedema. And it's something that 
I try to be as careful and cautious about as possible. But honestly, Joe, it wasn't until I came across your information that I realized that there were additional steps that I could and should be taking. And the other thing on your site is that out on the lymphedema blog, you have find a therapist. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, there are many. There are not only articles. And if, for those of you uh, who plan to visit Lymphedema Blog, if you are interested in certain topics, there is a list of articles, like an index on the left side of the page, and you just click on any article, and you know it comes up, and you can read up about it. Whatever interests you, obviously, if you have a, a upper extremity lymphedema, you may not be interested in learning about lower extremity lymphedema. So there is an index. And on the top of that page, you you have other uh, functions, and one of those functions is find a therapist. Like I said before, it's very, very important to go to a lymphedema therapist that is uh, uh, properly trained, that meets the requirements set by the Lymphology Association of North America, LANA, which which requires 135 hours of training. And if you click on that link, you are redirected to a page that lists uh, schools, not only the Academy of Lymphatic Studies, but the other uh, big schools in the United States that provide lymphedema training. And if you click on any of those links, uh, usually you are prompted to put in your SIM code and in return you receive an email that provides you with a list of certified therapists in your area. And I always hope that uh, patients are lucky because there is still a severe shortage of lymphedema therapists in the United States. Currently, uh, the, the statistics are there's one certified lymphedema therapist to 100,000 lymphedema patients. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. There's an extreme wow. shortage of trained specialists in this field. That's incredible. I know. I know. I know. Wow. Well, as we begin to wrap up, what would you like to leave our listeners with? And wh- uh, where can they find the book? I'm assuming that that is available on Amazon, but is that something that would be of interest to, to someone like us? Or is that more for the medical professional? It's good that you mentioned this because this should not be a, a, you know, a push to, uh, to sell the book. And most likely it, it won't be because the book is very uh, expensive. It's a medical textbook. It's, it's anywhere between 60 and $100 wherever you buy it. It's available on Amazon. However, I mean, if you have the means to buy that book, please do so. Uh, there is a large uh, section in that book that uh, is geared towards patients. I mean, it's, it's, it's geared towards the medical professionals, you know, the universities use that, that uh, use that book to teach patients. Lymphedema schools use that book to teach patients. But it's really not necessary for your listeners to buy that book because everything you need to know is on Lymphedema Blog exactly for that reason because not everybody has $60 laying around, you know, and um, it's not necessary. Just go to Lymphedema Blog. It's free. You know, it's always maintained. It's always up to date. And if you find any... If you can find any topic that you're looking for, please shoot me an email. My email is on the website. I think it's under the author information. Shoot me an email if I oversaw anything in the past. I don't know how many years I do that blog. Let me know and I make sure I write an article within a couple of days and publish it. So if if I may leave you with that, again, it's not necessary to buy the book, but please, if you wish so, please do so. You know, it, it, uh, it would make me happy too. But 
please, uh, it's not necessary. Go to lymphedemablog, www.lymphedemablog.com. Anything you need to know, hopefully, anything you need to know is on that website. Wonderful. And you also have Lymphedema Guru Facebook page, which is also where I found you. And you do post there regularly and you post some great articles, some some breaking stuff. and And so that's really great too. Well, that's what I that's what I do. So you know, it's not a big deal for me because that's all I do. I'm the educational director here at the academy, and my job is to be always up to date. You know, with new developments. I go to conferences throughout the year. Obviously, in these states, it's a little bit difficult uh, since we are in the middle of that COVID nineteen crisis. You know, if you listen to that uh, podcast in a couple of years from now, hopefully, hopefully everything will be over. But uh, fortunately, right now there are no lymphedema conferences. But this is what I do. You know, I keep up to date and I, I share that information that is important to lymphedema patients on uh, the lymphedema guru Facebook page, and those posts are daily. Wonderful. Joe, thank you so much for your time today, taking a moment to talk with us and and really demystify the lymphatic system and talk to us about staging, which is something I didn't know. I learned so much from our conversation today. I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm very glad. Thank you for having me and thank you. Have a good weekend time. Oh, you too. And for our listeners, thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions, all of the links will be in the show notes. But again, it's lymphedemablog.com or out on Facebook, you can find the Lymphedema Guru. And if you haven't already subscribed, please give us a subscribe and like. And until next time, keep building your killer life. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week. And until then, keep building your killer life.